Welcome to the Nova Podcast. On October 25th, 2020, Nova Chamber Music Series presented the world premiere of Rising Tide, a new film from the Crossroads Project. After the screening, some of the film's creators joined host Jeff Counts to discuss how their personal encounters with climate change and sustainability led to the birth of this project. Good evening and welcome. My name is Jeff Counts. I am the program annotator and pre-concert lecture host for the Nova Chamber Music Series. I'm also the production manager for the live version of the film you just saw, Rising Tide, The Crossroads Project. It's a great thrill to invite all of you to this post-film talkback. I'm joined by principal author and co-creator of the project, Dr. Robert Davies, also by his partners in crime, the Fry Street Quartet, violins, Robert Waters, Rebecca McFall, Viola, Brad Audison, Ancello, and Francis Bayless. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hey, Joe. Yes. I think we probably need a minute to catch our breath. That was as stressful for me as any live performance. I just, <laughs> I just spent the last hour and 15 minutes shouting lighting cues at my television. <laughs> Not at all healthy, but congratulations to everyone. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful rendition of this thing that we've all loved for so long. Speaking of how long, let's talk about the origin story. I imagine, Dr. Davies, there are probably people in this chat who don't know how this all began. Did it truly start with you being enveloped in the sounds of a string quartet? <laughs> you know, uh, oddly enough, it did, uh, in a way. You know, um, when I first approached the Fry Street Quartet about this, I think it was about 2011. And um, I had been giving climate change, public climate change lectures for a few years and had um, and realized that the, the audiences were understanding the science distilled to its essence. Of, it's a pretty straightforward story, but they just weren't connecting to it. Um, you know, uh, they would leave my lecture and walk back out into the world into for what most of them were, had very nice lives, nice jobs, nice dinners, nice vacations, uh, nice homes. And the, the meaning of the information just wasn't sinking in. And I got to thinking, you know, um, this is what the arts do for us. They connect us to stories, film and music and literature. Uh, and we had this amazing string quartet uh, at, at Utah State University, where I was at the time and still am. And I got to thinking, you know, what if uh, uh, in a concert, <laughs> I got to thinking, you know, what if we told, gave the audience some information and put up some, some vivid imagery and really unleash some powerful music on this message, would that help them connect to it? Uh, and so that was the, the genesis of the idea. And I approached the quartet, much to my surprise, they were very interested. Uh, and then we took it from there. Um, let's talk about where it's been since. Um, as I mentioned before, it's been happening for a little while now. We're almost eight years into this. I think it's some 40 odd performances, isn't that right? Rob? Yeah, 40, 45 performances. 45 46. performances. So um, tonight was the 46th. <laughs> it, it felt like it. It was stressful, like I mentioned before. Um, <laughs> but Robert Waters, let's, let's shift to you for a second. Um, with, with all that under your belt, how has this project changed for you in all that time? I mean, what's, what's different now from that first performance and how are you keeping the flame lit? What have you learned about how to spread this message more effectively? after all this time? Uh, well, certainly a lot has changed. Um, that first performance, first of all, was a good, I, I think close to 
30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes longer. It was kind of sprawling and a bit um, unfocused. I think it was still on some level powerful. We got great um, reactions from, from most of the audience, um, but it's, uh, it's certainly tightened up and gotten a lot more focused over time. And I think all of us have just gotten a lot more confident in, in the delivery of this. There's something, uh, I mean, for certainly, I'm sure for Rob, it's very different to do this than to give a, a science presentation. And this is also very different for a string quartet to do um, uh, compared to just giving a quartet recital, you know, just sitting sitting on stage for 15 minutes at a time um, and, and hearing really kind of haunting um, uh, uh, science coming coming at you, and then having to suddenly get up and and you know play is, is something to actually that doesn't really um, <laughs> it doesn't happen in normal quartet concert. So we've had to get used to that, um, and in getting used to it, I think um, it's gotten a lot more confident. And certainly, I don't think any of us are bored by this. By certainly, the, and the fact that the data that's coming out um, every year and seemingly every week getting uh, more and more um, scary is, is by, uh, by all means keeping us invested in, this, in, in, the, in the project. And so I think just being able to, um, to deliver what we have to say um, with increasing confidence and increasing urgency has, has been one of the biggest changes. Rebecca, I wanna get your thoughts on this too, but I wanna read you a comment first that we just got from Pat Allen. Pat says, this was fantastic and inspiring. I'm especially inspired that even at my age of 80 years, there is something I can do. I think that speaks to the fact that Dr. Davies was right. This melding of art and science is a really great way to get this message across. How do you feel about this project eight years on? And obviously, what does that comment mean to you? Oh, well, that comment is very gratifying to read because I think at its heart, the whole idea um, from its inception was to create a space for for this conversation, a space that was not politicized, a space that allowed us to kind of really marvel at the wonders of, of um the earth and its life support systems and, and how we depend on them and how beautiful it is, which I think comes across so beautifully in the, in the work of, of um, the photojournalists and especially the paintings of Rebecca Allen. And, but also to, to um, really see this as a, as a call to action and that we all have a role to play. Everything is connected. And that means each one of us. So if, if somebody, has a takeaway that um, is uh, is about some form of action. Whatever form of action it is, it's important. If it's especially if it's new, you know, if we just encourage everyone to take one step further than they've taken before, then that becomes comfortable, and hopefully, it's one step further. And um, and right now, we we uh, really need to come together to uh, to make change. One of the things that speaks most clearly to me as the production manager at this project over the years is how things have changed. I depend on the script. I live and die by the script, which I will note for the record, sometimes I get maybe 10 minutes before curtain, but that's for another discussion. But um, I, I really do depend on that script. And I've noticed in all of the different iterations that certain things have changed over time. A lot of the numbers have changed. Certain things are getting a lot worse. Rob has to update them each time, sometimes a week later. There's also that section at the end where we talk about all the great things people are doing. That's changing too. That list has been growing. So 
before before Dr. Davies jumps into the details of those changes, I want to know from you, Anne, have you noticed that too? And how does that affect you as you approach this fresh each time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would agree with, you know, what Robert had said about the fact that, you know, it's, we never, we've never gotten bored. We never find ourselves sort of becoming used to this information. And in large part, that is because it is constantly evolving. And the number that always gets me, there's lots of them, but you know, the number of planets we need. I remember when that number, I think, didn't we start at 1.3 or maybe 1.4, you know, and I think we're, we're at 1.7 now. I mean, you know, everything is moving so quickly. And that's one of the things that I think kind of astonishes me and continues to alarm me each time that, you know, this is moving at a pace that is so quick. It is so fast. And if that, if there's one thing that I, I feel so deeply at the end of every performance is, is that urgency, it, it only deepens. And yes, there's lots of good news too, which is great. Um, but for me, that has, that, that just keeps it right there always on the edge. And this is a performance that I think will never lose that sense of absolute, it's just, it's in the moment every single time. Dr. Davies, could you talk a little bit about some of those changes I was mentioning? I mean, eight years is a very microcosmic look at something this big, but what's changed since we started this? Well, uh, as you've already said, the, the, the pace of uh, progression of not only climate change, but also this broader picture of our unsustainability as a civilization has accelerated. Um, certainly in climate change, I think, uh, I, I'll say one of the things is lots of the science has, uh, I mean, we get better and better science, but kind of interestingly, the basics of the science hasn't changed. You know, we're uh, eight years ago when we started doing this, the, the scientific message was the same. Um, the, the big difference is that things are progressing faster than was expected even back then, only eight years ago. And so the carbon budget uh, has decreased dramatically. The danger line for climate change has moved downward from two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures to just one and a half degrees Celsius, of which we've already warmed 1.1 degrees Celsius. The, the impacts that we're seeing for the scale of change we've already had are bigger uh, than were expected even uh, a decade ago, that's illustrated perhaps most effective. There are many ways to illustrate this, but perhaps most effectively by the by the pace of the melt of the Arctic ice uh, and the Greenland ice sheet has increased dramatically. Um, and I want to I want to mention one more big change in the decade since since we started this, and that's in the audience uh, and the public perception. I mean. Um, Jeff, you mentioned that we've, we've changed the script quite a bit and, and it was longer. And I don't know if you remember the, our original ending, uh, which was, if you can believe it, considerably more um, darker than, than what everyone saw tonight. Um, but at the time we felt like audiences needed that real uh, sort of gut punch, so to speak. And uh, that has changed. We, we took that out of, of maybe five years or so ago and, and pivoted more to the mindset that we need to progress because the audience has had progressed as well. And so that's another welcome that with, with all of the, the difficult changes, a welcome change is of course that, that the public perception uh, is, is really starting to, to catch up with, with what the science is telling us. Brad, I want to hear from you here. Um, 
and I'm glad Dr. Davies mentioned how the audience has changed over the years because I think that as progressive and as much as we challenge the audiences, uh, as progressive as the message is and as much as we challenge the audiences, I, I find that mostly they're of like mind. They're, they think like we do. They're, they're coming to be reassured or, or at least educated so that they can take action. I can only think of a couple of times, Brad, where we had people in the audience that I felt weren't on the same page with us. And I'm not sure if they approached you to challenge anything they just heard, but I suspect those experiences has, have made all of us prepare what we might say to somebody like that. So talk a little bit about your interactions with the audiences over the years and what you would do if somebody came up that was kind of hostily unconvinced. Well, um, I mean, you know what happens a lot of times, uh, as you say, uh, many of our audiences are on the same page as we, uh, as, as, as us. Um, but what happens a lot of times is that people sort of have a topic that they're fixated on. Um, a lot of times this is global population, for instance, which they want to blame everything on. Um, and Dr. Davies is always very valuable in being able to redirect and expand the conversation. Um, but one, one of the themes of the Crossroads Project is the interconnectivity of everything. It's not a simple problem. It's a very complex problem. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the next step in a conversation like that is just to be able to open up people's horizons and um, sort of help them to acknowledge things that they are likely seeing. Um, as we've said, you know, things have progressed a lot in the last 10 years and people's uh, perceptions have changed. Uh, public opinion has changed. Now, you, you know, when we started, uh, we had to convince people still that climate change was happening and we needed to shock people um, to a certain extent into action. But now you look out your window and you can see it happening, every one of us, um, from one end of the country to the other. Um, when we open our door, we can see climate change on a daily basis. And that definitely changes the conversation. Uh, Robert Waters, I want to kick it to you. Same question. I, I know you bounced out for a second, but the gist was, have you had experiences with audience members who have been skeptical, even after hearing this very thorough and very moving message? How have you handled that? Yeah, I think... Um, for the most part, we certainly are preaching to the choir. There was a performance that we gave early on in 2012. It was for um, students and what turned out to be a number of their parents uh, in Salt Lake City. And I think some of the parents didn't really take too kindly to the message that we were that we were um, giving them and walked out. So we didn't necessarily have any sort of confrontations after performances or anything like that. But it was it was clear in the middle of the performance that there was a certain segment of the audience that just didn't like what we were saying. Um, that's not at all um, stopped us from continuing to push this message forward. It's not even really altered it all that much at all. We're not trying to soften it or somehow include people who are just completely resistant to listening to this. There's a there's that you know people all sometimes might think that we're preaching to the choir, as I mentioned before, and and the response to that is well, you preach to the choir so that the choir will sing. 
And uh, so a large part of what we're trying to do here is not necessarily convince all the skeptics of the world that climate change is happening and that science is real. We're really um, communicating to people who on some level understand that this is a problem, but just aren't behaving like it's a problem. Their behavior is as if there's nothing, even if there's something in their mind that they know isn't right. And so um, moving those people to action, I think is where our, um, is 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 our plan of attack and is in in i think will continue to be so and it's in that way it's perhaps getting a little easier just because awareness now is so much uh, broader than it was um eight years ago we've been talking a lot about eight years ago and how we've gotten here but we need to talk about what here is um the very fact that we're doing this the way we are is because we're in a pretty pretty particular moment right now so i mean aside from the suspension of live performances and i don't you know, I think this movie would have happened anyways. We've always dreamed of this, but maybe it was a little bit of, a, of a, an acceleration at play because of COVID. But how Dr. Davies has the pandemic influenced Crossroads and what's the advocacy ecosystem like generally right now? I can't imagine it's the same as it always was. And I have to follow that up with the question, is there any merit to this idea that all this quarantine, spotty and scruffy though it has been, has been really good for the planet in a lasting way? Try to try to answer both of those if you can. Uh, let me start with the second question. And uh, uh, certainly we've heard reports, you know, that we're driving less. And certainly that was true in the first couple of months. Uh, we're flying less. That's still true. Um, quite a lot less. But the short answer is, um, okay, fine. The, the impact of that on the carbon, the, our carbon emissions is... Um, is to lessen our carbon emissions. And that's good from a climate change perspective. Um, but two points on that. One is these are not systemic changes. These are changes that are happening as a result of a disruption, in this case, this global pandemic. And so as we start to get a handle on this pandemic, and we will eventually, um, those emissions will come back because we've made no systemic change. And the, the, the name of the game here is changing systems. Um, the second thing I'll point out is that the, the impact of the pandemic, the direct impact of economic impact here in the US and around the world, of course, has um, moved this topic of the pandemic in response to the economy uh, to the very tip top of just about everybody's list. And it makes it much more difficult to get anything done in terms of passing legislation on climate change or, or, or coming to a collective action. What I think the pandemic has done in helping us move forward is to help the public give us all a, a, a very tangible example of uh, a crisis that was predicted by science and how quickly we can pivot when those crises hit, think of how quickly this nation pivoted in March uh, when, when we understood that that's what we needed to do. And it also gives us a picture of how quickly all of that can just be for naught if there's no real leadership, uh, which has been the case, of course, obviously uh, in our nation um, on this topic. And we see that all of that sacrifice that people made in the early months went for not. We weren't able to open up the schools because we couldn't get a handle on it because we had no real leadership. And so it gives us a living, breathing example of, of why you want to listen, why you want to believe what you know, in this case about coronavirus, 
and respond to it and why if you don't you don't get away with it um, um the problem just worsens so it's in that way it's been instructive i want to jump to some audience uh questions here there's been some great stuff coming in i promise everyone that's listening if we don't get to your question the team will take a look at it and try to get you some sort of response in the coming days but let's let's jump into a few of these right now cameron is an environmental studies and viola performance major i mean that's Crossroads Auxiliary Team right there for sure. Cameron <laughs> wonders, what are actions music musicians can specifically take to promote sustainability? Why don't you take that one, Anne? This is such a great question. Um, well, and I mean, first of all, I think the sky is really the limit, you know, to the degree that you're passionate about some aspect of this or all aspects of it. I think our voices as communicators are so powerful, more powerful usually than we know. And so even small efforts uh, can make a really big difference. Um, now, Cameron, I think I recognize your name and I think you've been in touch with my colleague, Rebecca, so you know a little bit about um, some efforts that have been made, for example, by students here at our own home university at Utah State University um, who created an opera. This is entirely student-led and run. They commissioned an opera by a young composer uh, on the topic of global sustainability, um, and it premiered last night, actually. Um, but this is something that was really, really of great importance to them. Everyone involved felt passionately about it. They went through tremendous effort to put something really incredible together. Um, and I think that has had ripple effects, not only just here in our community, in our, in our community of our program here at our university uh, and outside of it in our hometown, uh, but way beyond that. Uh, now that we're all in this interesting place because of the pandemic, we're reaching farther than maybe we would have otherwise because a lot of these efforts are now being um, performed online. Uh, so that's just one tiny example, but I think as performers, again, our voices can be so powerful. So even if that is something like having a benefit concert, creating a concert experience for your community to benefit an organization that's important to you, um, a climate advocacy organization, or a group in your community or in your, at your university um, who, who are doing great work. Uh, but I think another theme we come back to a lot, which is not specific to musicians necessarily, is the idea of normalizing the conversation. That's one of the simplest and most effective things that anyone can do is to just talk about it. Uh, talk about this in your home communities, in your church communities, in, with your family. Um, and that, you know, for musicians um, is just as true as for everybody else. Um, but it's such a great question. And I think the other thing that makes our voices so powerful is that we, we have this creativity, most of us, that really once unleashed kind of knows no boundaries. Um, so just a few thoughts. Uh, it's so inspiring to hear about all of these efforts being made, particularly from young people, because that's exactly what we all need right now. Well, if Brad ever needs to take a sick day, we got Cameron lined <laughs> up. So how about a question now from Kate? What is being done to get this program more into view from before those who tend towards climate change skepticism? Rebecca, how about you jump on that one? that grenade. Oh, you threw me a fastball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, 
Well, I think all, honestly, all of our efforts were just in terms of getting the film out there was to get it edited and filmed and, <laughs> and out there. And we are making, um, making efforts to, to cir circulate it widely. We're reaching out to um, the, the sustainability communities, scientific communities, um, and that's maybe a little bit more of preaching to the choir, like, like has already been talked about. Um, and, and also with this in mind, the, the point of Crossroads from the start was, um, was to move people towards action. And, and maybe that doesn't include um, people who aren't willing to have a good faith conversation about this topic. The hope also is, of course, to create a, a safe space away from a, a hyper-partisan environment where it is safe to have a kind of deep exploration of this topic. And, and that, that is the hope to, to, um, to bust open some understanding. Um, so we will move our attention towards more disbursement um, of the film and, and to see what sort of impact it can have and what kind of reach it can have. Um, but like, like many artistic projects, uh, birthing it is also, <laughs> also um, takes a whole bunch of um, effort. And once that's done, then, then um, there's a little more bandwidth to, to think about that. But thank you for the question and thank you for bringing it to the fore because it is, um, an important one. Rebecca, you know, thinking of what Robert Waters said before about that one experience we had where the parents of the students weren't all that keen, I wonder if that might be an avenue to get to skeptics through their kids, through their student-aged kids. Do you think there's something <laughs> well, to that? I absolutely think there's something to that. I think um, the young people for the most part are very aware that they're, this is their inheritance, you know, that the world that we're bequeathing them isn't a healthy one. And, um, and, and also younger people tend to be open um, to, to these, to all kinds of things and not necessarily cemented in, um, uh, in, in ideology. And so working with young people, to find their voice, to find their voice as artists, certainly, but to find their voice as artists who are reflecting something meaningful back about the world that they're busy trying to understand is another aspect of our work. And as Anne mentioned, we're all so proud of the opera that premiered last night. Um, that was um, a student production and it was beautifully done and beautifully received. And the year before that, there was another student effort, which was astonishing called Plastic Ocean, um, which involved original music and a play and a wonderful performance. And so, you know, it's gonna take a village and the young people, like I said, this is their earth to inherit. Brad, you have a follow-up to that? Yeah, you know, I might just add, not just for the arts, but for all fields, you know, sustainability is exciting. You know, sustainability is the cutting edge. We're looking at the future when we talk about sustainability in a, in a number of disciplines, in a number of fields of, of study. Um, you know, uh, a, a, there was one line that was cut in the film version, uh, which I might ask Rob, um, uh, 
about the difficulty of an undertaking. And you don't have to do the whole impression, Rob. <laughs> I think it's a really great point. Well, it's a quote from uh, quite a famous American inventor named Edwin Land, uh, who said, never undertake a project unless it is manifestly important and nearly impossible. Uh, and uh, and I, the, 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 the punch, the, the punchline to that or the in the film is well jackpot we've got exactly that we've got a project here that's manifestly important and can feel nearly impossible um and so uh so here we go this is the opportunity of a lifetime of a generation of many generations let's stay with you for a second uh, dr david oh first rebecca did you have a follow-up yes because i had a second to to think a little bit more um well, one other thought is that, that I hope that the film gets shared by anybody brave enough to, um, to approach some skeptics. <laughs> and um, so, so please, anybody watching, if you have ideas about sharing it, go ahead and share it. It's going to be available for free for a while. Um, uh, or write to us and with your suggestions, because we will be open to listening to them for sure. And I had one more comment for, um, for Cameron. Um, and this is sort of a, a practical one. I wanted to just mention, um, uh, it's actually a, a website and a, and a group of people that was started in the UK called Music Declares Emergency. And if you Google that, there is um, uh, a way to, um, to sign up to join musicians all over the world who are concerned about this topic. And on the website is also a whole bunch of super useful resources. Things like, you know, how to green your tech writer, how to um, put forth a proposal to the board at your chamber music society to look at practices and try to, to um, um, make them more sustainable. It's a lot of kind of practical things, but pushing our field and our institutions and the groups that we work with is another way of pushing forward the conversation and normalizing it. And it, it's maybe not always comfortable, but it's worth doing. And, and it's, there are models to follow to, um, to help make those moves. Thanks for that, Rebecca. I was going to mention that this video will be up for a little while so that people can share it exactly in the way you said. And I'm sorry to have thrown that skeptic question at your feet. I know it's a tough one. And the good news is, though, everybody listening through no fault of their own and through no choice of their own has been deputized just simply by watching this movie today. So we've all got a little you know, bit of work. You know. yeah. We've all got a little bit of work to do, but thank you for that, for that close to that topic, Rebecca. Um, I want to stay with you, Dr. Davies. CM, initial CM, asked, what are the top three to five things we can, as individuals, do to make a difference regarding climate change? I think three to five is ambitious, but give, give us a list that we can draw from, even if it's only one thing, as you've said. Yeah, well, let me, let me make a couple of quick comments. We, it, so we talked about changes in the, I'm gonna round it back really quick. But uh, we talked about changes in the performance and, and the biggest changes have come in the reimagined section. It's, that's always been the trick. What do, we, what do you ask of your audience? And you've got like six or seven minutes on stage to do it. Um, and so initially we have go to this website, look at this organization, you know, et cetera. Where we finally landed round and round is because these 
because these problems are so interconnected, uh, what I said in the in Reimagine Now, where we landed, is not so much what you specifically do, uh, but the mindset you need to move forward. And the reason we're there is because whoever you are, whatever your talents, whatever your means, um, there's work for you to do. And part of the very first step in that work is for you to figure out what that work is. Uh, so with musicians and with artists, be, being the storytellers that connect us to this information and then motivate us to action is, is really one huge piece of, of what, say, the arts and humanities can do. It's, it's only one thing. There are many. Um, and we have to change systems. So certainly doing these things in our personal lives are important. So personal lives. Um, uh, we mentioned the first biggest one in the performance. Talk about it. Talk about these issues. Normalize the conversation. They're real, they're immediate, they're much bigger than anything else. If we don't solve climate change and the broader picture of human sustainability, none of the other problems matter. Number two, um, we've got to get our carbon emissions down immediately. We need national policy to do that. And so uh, politics is how we collectively affect uh, uh, face risk. Uh, we've got an election coming up. Um, there is a huge difference between the candidates uh, up and down the ticket as to what their positions are on climate change and these existential crises. I don't think I have to go any further into it than that. Um, our diets play a huge role in our personal carbon footprint. Um, meat is, a, is very high carbon, and so lowering your meat intake uh, lowers your personal carbon footprint. And so we'll start with that. That's great. And I do want to hear from each of you about some of the sacrifices you've personally made, but I want to get to one more question. I want to, from, I, I'm going to stop you right there, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, they're not sacrifices. They don't have to be thought of as sacrifices. They can be thought of as changes uh, that take us to a much better place. And there are certainly changes and changes can be uncomfortable, but there's a difference between that and sacrifice. And I think it's a, it's a framing that is, that, that certainly has helped me as, as I try to change my own life. That's great. And we did rehearse that, ladies and gentlemen. That was Rob's correction. We <laughs> planned and rehearsed. Not the kind of host who gets offended easily, but <laughs> I know I know giving up a cheeseburger is going to be a sacrifice for you. <laughs> Absolutely. So one more question from Kate. So Kate says, as a scientist learning to make music, I'm curious how the musicians of the group experience learning to make science. How does this alternative way of thinking and approaching the world affect you? Robert Waters, how about you? I, I don't think I'm ever going to forget. So I actually hopped on the Crossroads boat just a smidge after it was launched. Um, there were a couple of very early, um, you might say, beta testing performances <laughs> before I was a part of the Fry Street Quartet. So um, I remember very vividly sitting in the middle of a Crossroads performance and hearing for the first time, uh, or I suppose it was even in a rehearsal, but hearing for the first time that... Uh, that we can in America choose to consume 80, I think it's 88, 8 million, 8 million uh, plastic bottles every uh, two minutes, something like that. Um, two million, two million every five minutes. Two million every five minutes. Okay, so it's not so bad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really just astonishing that, and, and kind of, um, I think for that, those first couple of years, just kind of wrapping my mind really around this, the, the scale. And of course, 
that's almost impossible for any human to do truly but just getting closer and closer to the to a, a, a coming face to face with what science is telling us and reading more and becoming more informed and more confident about talking about it more uh confident about being active being an activist um has has lent my art, I think, certainly in, in the in the context of the Crossroads Project, just so much more confidence. And the Fry Street Quartet has also lent its uh, artistic voice to other um, social justice issues as well with other pieces. And uh, it's been kind of the same thing there, learning more about a certain injustice, whether it's climate change or um, other things going on in our world that we want to address the more that I learn about that, the, the, the more confident I become in, in being a participant, both just as a citizen, but also as a musician. So I'm certainly not uh, aspiring to be a scientist, uh, but um, being in that world uh, has, has enriched my music making for sure. Rebecca, thoughts? I have just kind of a, uh, a lighthearted um, answer to that question, which uh, has come up when I, in my own practicing and actually with my students, and just thinking about, um, about process in a more data-driven way. And like recently, there was an example. This wasn't actually my idea, but I love this. If you're practicing a big shift and you're worried about it, and um, and instead of missing it, judging it, and deciding you're you're a terrible, worthless person because you've missed your shift, the um, the alternative would be as you're practicing it to actually just just codify in what way was it out of tune and see if you can identify patterns and solutions. And it's it sounds like a well, it is sort of a silly thing, but it's surprisingly effective. And and um, I think as as artists, we sometimes you know we have great big feelings. And so it can be really good to just actually kind of turn around the process a little bit and uh, let that inform us. What do you think, Brad? Well, in just thinking about the intersection of art and science, I just want to give a huge shout out to the composer, Laura Kaminsky, who at the start of this, uh, this uh, project was handed essentially a graph <laughs> with water and bios and forage and societies. And she managed to turn that into music. So when thinking about stretching ourselves uh, and, and working to meld art and science, I think what she came up with is just so incredibly brilliant and vivid and inspiring. I'm so glad you mentioned Laura Kaminsky because she just sent us a message. She clearly agrees with Dr. Davies that I truly stepped in it a few moments ago <laughs> because she suggests that we think about the changes as offerings to the future rather than sacrifices, which I think is gorgeous. Um, note for the future, Laura, send me those thoughts before the show so that I can <laughs> and not hit the tripwires that I hit. Um, so th speaking of those changes, we're getting pretty close to the end of our time here. So. I think it'd be great if each one of you could talk about a change you've made. What offering have you made to the future since this began? It can be a difficult one. It could be a simple one. I think they're all inspiring. So, uh, Dr. Davies, let's start with you. Uh, well, uh, I would say the first one is I my career track just completely shifted about 15 years ago uh, when I uh, thought I was going to take a year and just do public climate change uh, communication and then go back to what I was 
doing before, which is a, a different kind of physics called quantum optics for any nerds out there. Um, so that's one shift. It's, and I think it's, I, I would, so I've shifted my professional activities to try to start using my profession to address these problems. Um, you know, personally, uh, you know, I, um, I eat very little meat now. I've, I've shifted my diet quite a lot. Uh, my wife and I, full disclosure, which is who is Rebecca, you know, purchased an electric car and solar panels. And, and we certainly try to push things forward uh, to the best of our ability uh, on a personal level. But, but I'll say again that combine, it, it, it's combining that with turning your vision not inward but outward that we really need to do. We have to make these systemic changes. And so that involves seeking out uh, collective action. And, and as I talk about in Reimagine, there's a huge number of, of organizations that are out there to do that. So pick something, don't try to do everything, but pick something and make it yours. And how about you? Well, I should mention one thing that is not necessarily just for my personal life, but um, for the life of Nova, the Nova Chamber Music Series, which um, we should mention the Fry Street Quartet. We are the music directors of Nova currently. Um, and one of the big efforts that we made early on, um, spearheaded by my colleague Rebecca, uh, was an initiative called Nova Goes Green, um, wherein we're looking for ways to make an organization, which should be mentioned is already a very green organization, because of course Nova works almost exclusively with local musicians, musicians here in the state of Utah. Um, and so, you know, the carbon footprint of this chamber music series is quite a bit greener than your average chamber music series where you'll have artists flying in from around the country and often the world. Um, but even, even so, there were lots of steps that could be taken to get NOVA um, as an organization to just have even less of a footprint. And so that's something that we're really proud of for the organization as a whole. Um, my answer um, personally is pretty, probably pretty similar um, to Rob's and just that, you know, we're an electric car family now, we're saving up for solar panels at some point soon, we hope. We've made big changes in the way we consume lots of things, not just food, um, but even things like clothing. Um, the way we think about how we interact in our community um, and the message that the message that we gave to our son, because of course he's going to be outliving us by quite a stretch. And so this is something that um, we talk about a lot as a family. Uh, before we go to you, Brad, I want to mention that if you feel so inclined, it would be wonderful if you considered a donation to Nova Chamber Music Series. You can do that at novaslc.org. It supports not only the Crossroads Project, but everything the Fry Street Quartet is doing as music directors of that venerable Salt Lake City institution. So please consider that when you're feeling generous next. Uh, Brad, how about you? What's your one gift to the future? Well, you know, one thing that a lot of musicians um, think about a lot is travel. And, uh, you know, for a long time, travel has been seen as the, the lifeblood of a performing career. Um, so we've all put that on hold for COVID. Um, there's this sort of wonderful pause where everybody was sort of forced to um, leave the rat race for a moment. And uh, coming back on the other side of that, I think we'll be traveling less, but it's also been amazing to see what all can be done online, what can be done virtually, um, both in terms of education and performance. So it's gonna be a new world on the other side of that. Travel is a big thing. 
Rebecca? Um, so, you know, early on in the performance too, one of the things that Rob was always talking about was how we had to pick something and make it ours and then, but push the institutions in our lives. Um, and I think Anne already spoke to that really beautifully. But, but I, so I took that to heart and, um, and was one of uh, three faculty members to put forward something called the um, uh, Destinations Workshop for faculty at U Utah State University. So um, we went to a workshop um, and, and looked at ways to do that and other models and came back and I wrote the pitch to the president and provost and, and um, worked on funding for it and designed it. And I'm proud to say it's something that happens annually and has now um, trained, if you will, um, faculty, hundreds of our faculty to be thinking about how they can incorporate sustainability into their courses. And so it's, um, it's, it's hundreds of students that they've affected, not maybe hundreds of faculty yet, but quite a few faculty. And also I started, um, I worked with a, um, the sustainability coordinator, whose name is Alexi Lamb, to create something called an AmeriCorps Sustainability Fellowship um, for the King College of the Arts. And so my hope was to empower a student to work with other students and, and move our college, at least, um, towards the, the, um, the goal of carbon neutrality uh, by 2050, which was a climate compact that our president, our university president had signed in 2007. And in doing so, there are solar panels on the Cain College of the Arts. There is, um, uh, we've hosted climate town halls. There've been a lot of things that have happened um, as a result of that position. And lastly, I have, um, now written two articles, one of which has been published with co-author Gabriella Lena Frank for Chamber Music Magazine. And that's the other, I, I'm hoping, we're hoping to kind of push our profession to be reimagining how we work um, in all kinds of different ways and, um, and to bust open that conversation as well. Mr. Waters. Yeah, so I, I I'm going to offer something a little bit silly on the face of it, but um, over the last, I'm, I'm not going to say four or five years, I've had haircuts by four or five different people. And for whatever reason, uh, climate change has come in and out of those, those what are usually kind of um, innocuous and sometimes um, mind-numbing conversations by you know, getting your hair cut. And for whatever reason, it's really hot or there's smoke in the air or something and, and the, the the conversation comes up and the and the person cutting my hair, this has happened now with like four different people, has said something to the effect of, well, you know, the science isn't really settled. And after I've said, yeah, you know, it looks like this might become our new normal, some some something along those lines. And in the past, I think before um, the Crossroads project kind of took hold of my life, I would have just kind of said something non-committal and changed the subject and thought to myself, this is you know a waste of time to, to try and talk to somebody who's clearly not getting it. But um, in each of these conversations, I've, I've actually done my best to politely, but um, clearly 
steer this person in the direction of actually taking in what the science is telling us and having kind of more data in my mind to be able to call up than I would have before I started doing this project. And just making an attempt to at least move the conversation somewhere. I'm not so sure how successful I was, but I think I've, in practicing, shall we say, in the context of these haircuts, I think I'm getting better at it and um, getting a little less rattled and getting just being capable of staying calmer in such um, conversations. And as Rob has said um, many times um, to lots of people in the context of this performance, we really have to normalize these conversations. And what more normal place to have a conversation about climate change than when you're getting your hair cut? So uh, I, I don't know that, that that's my offering for this evening. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to let everyone know that if you want to hear more about everything you've heard tonight, including haircuts, you'll have an opportunity to do so with an upcoming suite of podcasts. The first drops this Thursday, and then on three subsequent Mondays, the members of the team will speak to specialists in the areas of water, life, food, and society. So make sure you catch that. They'll be on iTunes, and more information about them will be available in a couple of days at novaslc.org, which incidentally is the website I mentioned before, where you can and should go donate if you feel so inclined. Um, any questions we didn't get to during this discussion tonight, we'll certainly try to do in those podcasts. I've got a few people to thank. The Utah Legislature, particularly Utah Division of Arts and Museums, Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation, Salt Lake County Zoo Arts and Parks, Sounds of Science Commissioning Club, and Rhea Bauman and Glenn Prestwich. Thanks to all those generous donors for making this evening possible. Before we say goodbye, Dr. Davies, last word. One more takeaway message for the group. Well, I think it's got to be uh, believe what you know and uh, pick something, make it yours, and talk about it. Thank you all. I can't wait to do this live again. Much love and congratulations. This has been the Nova Podcast. Our host was Jeff Counts. Our guests were Rob Davies, Robert Waters, Rebecca McFowl, Bradley Audison, and Anne Francis Bayless. This episode was produced by Chris Myers. The Nova Podcast is funded by listeners like you. You can donate to support Nova's programming at www.novaslc.org. We love hearing from our listeners. If you have any questions or comments, please email info at novaslc.org. On the next episode of the Nova Podcast, Robert Waters and Dr. Rob Davies are joined by ecosystem biologist Dr. Ben Abbott and composer Laura Kaminsky to discuss her experience composing the string quartet at the heart of Rising Tide. Don't forget to subscribe and share the Nova Podcast with your friends. Thank you for joining us.